Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Freedom Caucus podcast. This is Jody Heiss, your host, coming to you from our nation's capital. Honored to have you on board with us today. Let's get right into it. I, I don't know if you saw this. There was a Gallup poll that came out. Actually, it's probably a couple months uh, old at this point, but I thought it was very interesting. It talked about how members of both parties viewed their own ideologies. And what was interesting to me about this whole thing is that most Democrats wanted their own party to be more moderate. On the other hand, most Republicans wanted a more conservative GOP. And so here we are in Washington. We have two parties, one running further and further and further to the left, and most of their constituents really want them to go more central. And the Republicans, on the other hand, most cons conservative or most uh, constituents with the Republicans want their party to be more conservative as, as well. It just shows that America is a center-right nation. And I, it's just going to be very interesting as you look at this whole thing move forward with the presidential race. I mean, you look, for example, Joe Biden, who is, I think, a pretty, pretty much a regular, if you will, kind of liberal. He's not a leftist, uh, but he currently has an overwhelming lead in the primary for the Democrats' uh, race for Congress. And most Democrats are ideologically more moderate than are the candidates right now who are running further and further to the left. And so you look at all of this in light of the type of bills that Democrats are bringing forward, and it's really quite interesting. There are two bills in particular, one that passed the House just uh, uh, recently, a week or so ago, and another bill that's coming up for consideration that reflects this fundamental misunderstanding of the Democrats with their constituency. We talked about this in the past. One of those bills was the Equality Act. It claims to ban discrimination on the basis of sex and gender identity. And, you know, I mean, that sounds okay, I guess, at first glance. Uh, I suspect most people won't get further than just that. But when you look at this bill more closely, you realize just how dangerous it is. Now, many of you know my background, I'm a pastor unashamedly a Christian, and one of the basic rights that I hold dearly is religious liberties. In fact, that's one of the issues that personally brought me to Congress. I believe absolutely that our religious liberties have been infringed upon more and more in recent years. You look back in the 1990s, when there was actually still what would be considered a moderate branch of the Democrat Party, even back then, Chuck Schumer himself actually introduced a bill back in the 90s called the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And this bill, it was signed into law by President Clinton. Uh, it was basically there to ensure that government was not going to interfere with the free exercise of religion. Unless, of course, unless it was absolutely necessary, but if it was necessary, even then, it was extremely restrictive. But the Equality Act, now that we're dealing with, it absolutely decimates religious liberties. It, it, it forces people literally to violate their First Amendment rights. It, it opens the door of government to force people to violate their deeply held, sincerely held religious beliefs. Gender identity 
would be elevated to a protected class like race, and there are no exceptions for those who have deeply held religious beliefs. In fact, the, the legislation itself explicitly states that the Religious Freedom Restoration Act may not be used as a defense for violations. So, I mean, this is a flagrant overreach and an attempt to, to change our nation's whole belief system and to gut what I believe is absolutely in the First Amendment our most basic freedom. And that's just one small slice of this legislation, the Equality Act. Uh, and many people, you don't think uh, of the, the, the rippling effect of this, but the bill, for example, would also kill women's sports as we know it. We are already watching men come into women's sports claiming that they identify as a, as, as a female and they are competing in women's athletics. We're seeing this kind of thing happen and it's only going to happen more and more and more if something like the Equality Act becomes law. And we, look, you look at the, the advances that have been made in women's athletics over the years uh, through, through Title IX, uh, that's just opened the door for fantastic competition and the acceleration of women's sports and athletics, all of that would be in jeopardy with the Equality Act. And if that's not enough, you look at other ramifications, potentially sororities uh, would no longer uh, be able to exist. It, it would potentially eliminate women's colleges as we know it. It would force businesses to... Uh, make sure that the preferred pronouns are used for employees. So if a person does not want to be referred to as Mr. or Miss or whatever, and even by accident, if you use the wrong pronoun, you would be in violation of federal law. And folks, you know, I, I'm not just picking out uh, random bills. I mean, every, every Congress, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, but the Speaker of the House is able to reserve the first 10 bill numbers to really place the priority of, of that particular party. So H.R. 1, H.R. 2, H.R. 3, and so forth. The first 10 bills lay out the, the priority for the majority of Congress. Uh, and in this case, the Equality Act is H.R. 5. So it tells you a lot of where the platform is for the Democrat Party. Now, another bill that's getting top billing for the Democrats is H.R. 6. This is a proposal that would grant amnesty to about 3.2 million illegal aliens across the country. And again, it would even require federal college aid to go to these illegal aliens. This would be a radical proposal under any normal circumstances, of course, but it's even more frightening uh, when you consider the full-blown crisis that we are all watching right now take place at our southern border. I mean, even the New York Times has come out stating that what's happening at the southern border is an emergency. Uh, the Washington Post has, has done another similar thing, highlighting the humanitarian problem that's going on there. So you look at all of this. And the solution to this overwhelming problem at our southern border is not to now come along and provide immigration amnesty to 3 million people. That's only going to cause 
more and more and more people to uh, arrive at our southern border and exasperate the problem even further. So these are just a few of the big ticket items that the Democrats have, have crossed over their docket and are trying to cram down all of our throats right now. If we could talk about this flawed legislation for another hour, but uh, I want to get to our guest. I've got a, a great friend and a great leader with me today, Warren Davidson. He is from Ohio's uh, 8th District. He's been serving here since 2016. He is a tremendous, tremendous leader. A fun fact, he actually replaced the seat that was previously held by John Boehner. So we may get into that a little bit, but uh, Warren has been a, a just a valiant warrior for our country, both in the military uh, and now here in Congress. He's one of the key uh, guys on the Freedom Caucus, and uh, he is, serves on the House Financial Services Committee. Uh, and you were, Warren, very much involved in uh, standing against the Dodd-Frank bill. Uh, I don't know how time will allow us to get into the, to that, but listen, I want to welcome you for being here. Thanks for your leadership in so many areas. Glad to have you on the program. Thanks for the chance to talk with you in this format, Jody, and you're just uh, you know, doing great things for the Freedom Caucus and for freedom in America by getting the word out. Our message uh, has to get out. Well, you are a, a tremendous voice with that. Just real quickly, just on the fun fact side of things, how does it feel to uh, be in the seat that previously was held by John Boehner? Well, it, it gradually changes over time. So when I first won, of course, it's always known as Boehner's seat. And so when Brian Stile got elected and he started Congress, uh, we were getting acquainted. Brian Stile took the seat that was formerly held by Speaker Ryan. And he said, how long till it's not known as uh, Boehner's seat? I said, I'll let you know when I find out. <laughs> hey, well, it's no longer known as Boehner's seat. All of us up here, uh, we are, we're thrilled that you were in, the, in that, that role. All right, Warren, listen, there's a, there's a gazillion things to talk about. We've got everything from immigration to uh, to financial issues. Uh, you are one of those, that if I've heard you say it once, I've heard you say it a hundred times, let's not bankrupt America. And, you know, we throw numbers around here, 22 trillion, 900 billion, you know, all these kind of numbers. At some point, we're talking real money. And it, the, the impact that that has on our country on multiple fronts is enormous. Uh, can you kind of uh, walk us through some of the uh, what, in concrete terms, what this looks like if we don't get it under control? Well, there are people in both parties that believe deficits don't matter. Probably the most bipartisan thing here on Capitol Hill is spending the American people's money, uh, and that includes the next generation. So we're, we're spending way more than we have. And the reality is when you sit here and you listen to groups come in or you go back home and talk to folks, uh, there's all kinds of good ideas. Lots of them cost money. The trouble is there's more good ideas than there are dollars to pay for all the good ideas. And every family deals with that. Every business deals with that. And frankly, state governments deal with that, but they have balanced budget amendments. And so you have to make prioritization decisions. And uh, the federal government just doesn't seem to get around to that. Um, and if you go back, what does it look like? You know, when I was in high school, I graduated in 88, got to go over to Germany in uh, 1989. You saw the Berlin Wall come down. I mean, you were one Absolutely. of those heroes. And at that time, you know, we were rivals with the Soviet Union. People thought of them as a near-peer competitor, and some people uh, went there for their honeymoon, for example, uh, and are currently running for president. They thought, you know, the Soviets were this great thing. And, uh, and we found out what happens when you spend all your money. Deficits do matter. You can go bankrupt. The Soviet Union, we didn't beat them on the battlefield. They went bankrupt. 
Uh, and it's a chapter 11 bankruptcy, uh, not chapter seven, like Blockbuster. Blockbuster's gone. Uh, so it's a restructuring. And here they've been off the world stage for about a generation. They've clawed their way back on it. But no one's thinking of Russia as a true rival uh, in the economic sense to the United States. They're still a powerful military, still a great enemy of the United States, uh, and one of our most uh, intense rivals uh, when it comes to national security. But economically, no one thinks of them as a rival. And that's what happens when you go bankrupt. Right. Well, I think that's a great... And, and just the fact that you brought it up, I'm glad you did with the, with the way you served our country and you were there in, in Germany, saw the Berlin Wall come down. You have seen socialism uh, firsthand and the, the horrible results that come from it. Uh, you recently wrote an op-ed, in fact, about socialism. Let's... Uh, from your experience, I mean... The Democratic Party is pushing socialism down the throats of the American citizens right now. Fortunately, it's not being passed in the Senate and so forth, but they are showing their hand in what they really believe. Uh, just take us a little step further in the dangers that we're facing right now with the Democratic Party and their push towards socialism. Well, I'll tell you what I saw. When I got to Germany, uh, you know, we had live ammo. We thought the Soviets were going to come rolling into you know West Germany potentially at some point. There were people that were still afraid that Ronald Reagan was going to start you know World War III, and the reality is H.W. Bush was already president by the time I got there. Uh, but when the wall came down and I got to go into into Berlin, I met people that were coming across the border for the first time. And of course, Mr. Gorbachev didn't tear down the wall. We didn't tear it right. down. The East German people found out enough of the truth about what was on the other side, they tore their own wall down. Wow. So they were curious, you know, what's it, what's it, is it like this everywhere? Was this guy asked me. And I said, well, no, I mean, we have small towns. This is a big city. And I thought he was talking about Berlin. I mean, that was the biggest city I'd been in as, uh, as a kid from West Central Ohio. And uh, he meant, no, the stores are open at night and there's fresh milk. And like just anyone can go in and there's all this stuff on the shelves. Yeah. And I'm trying to explain grocery stores and 7-Eleven and, you know, uh, things like that, uh, that that have only gotten bigger and more abundant in uh, in our in my adult lifetime. They didn't have that because the fruit of uh, socialism is scarcity. You know, they're waiting on a central that's planner a to statement. tell them how much. Yeah, that's a great statement. The fruit of socialism is is scarcity. Uh, you need look no further than, than Venezuela for people who have never been to Germany. I mean, we're watching on television. Uh, what's taking place in Venezuela and what they have. That is a modern-day picture of, of socialism. Well, it is, but it, you can look at China's history. China yeah. tried every version of redistribution you could think of, to Marxist-Leninism, to Mao's cultural revolution. State owns the means of production. State sponsors corporations. And the reality is when Mao was gone and Deng Xiaoping took over the country, uh, he said, look, uh, you, can, you can have power in the party if you bring me money. You can try it the way that they did in the Cultural Revolution, or you can try it the way that I did it as governor of Guangdong province, which was communism with uh, Chinese principles, i.e. capitalism as long as our party stays in, in power. And that's what they've done. They've become this giant economic powerhouse since the late 80s. And at the peak, ahead of the recession, they were bringing a million people a month out of dollar-a-day poverty. Now, it's a, still uh, a totalitarian system dominated by the party, but they... Frankly, the mantra was, he coined this phrase, to be rich is glorious. So rather than shaming wealth, he realized you have to make it aspirational. 
uh, to be able to achieve. And you have to open up enough opportunities for people to do it. Now, they pick winners and losers. It's not the system. It's not the world's land of opportunity like America is. That's why everybody's trying to get into our country, not their country. Right. All right. Well, last question. This is along those lines. We're, we're looking now at, as we, we've touched on the Democratic Party here really pushing t- socialistic tendencies, uh, socialistic legislation uh, from the Green New Deal to, I, I mean, you name it, go, going down this path. Um, are, are they sincere in that? Are we, are we accurate in referring to them as becoming a party of socialism Based on what you've seen, is it accurate for us to point that finger towards the Democratic Party? Is it that serious? If, if you look at the Democratic Party, you look at John F. Kennedy's famous phrase, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. 25 or so presidential candidates who are Democrats, find one of them that's running on that. They're all running on, here's how your country's failing you. And when I get there, you're going to get this for free. And when I get there, the government's going to do this for you. It's all been flipped on its head. And so the progressives have had a movement for a long time. This is uh, just they wanted brand, progressive was more popular than socialism or communism, pretend, uh, particularly during the communist era, right? But you look at where some of these people went, what they studied, where they went on their honeymoon in Bernie Sanders' case. And the ideas are just Marxist ideology, redistribution, and they have become the ascendant force in the Democratic Party. And it began with Barack Obama's election in 08. Uh, where, where he said he wants to fundamentally remake America, and he meant it. And the reality is Hillary Clinton was supposed to be the anointed candidate in 08, but Barack Obama had an alliance of grassroots and money that was left of the party. He starved the party for cash, starved the party for grassroots energy, and ultimately the only way that you can get support of the party, as Donna Brazile highlighted as the head of the DNC, is to turn left, and then you can have money. They starved the party for cash, And that's how they basically ran an insurgency that took over that party. And now democratic socialism is in control of that party. And the only thing democratic about socialism is getting into it because you can vote your way into it. But a lot of times to get out of socialism, you got to shoot your way out of it. You can't. Wow. A powerful statement. And I I think you're right on. Warren, listen, we we definitely have to get you back. There's a lot of areas that I'd like to uh, run down a lot of different paths. I'd love to run with you. But I thank you so much for joining us today. It's an honor to have you on the program. Thank you, Jody. And listen, that's all the time we have, folks. But thank you so much for joining us on the Freedom Caucus podcast. If you have a moment, please take time to review this podcast on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Facebook.com slash Freedom Caucus and through our Twitter handle at Freedom Caucus. Until next time, this is Jody Heiss. Have a great week.